Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 040. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, hearing from God always sounds like such a daunting task. Sometimes it's simpler than we realize because the words are literally right there for us to read in our own human language. This week, we'll explore the key of keys, the simplest method that God uses to lead us, and how to break down some of those barriers that make the Bible appear more difficult than it really is. Check it out. Wouldn't it be nice if everything in life had a user's manual to it? I I sense some of you know where this is going. Because I mean beyond the bounds of how to change your oil or how to build a house. And let's swing for the fences here. A user's manual for parents. That just doesn't exist. A user manual on how to have the talk as a parent. No elaboration needed. A user's manual on how to get that thing by your TV to stop blinking 12. Well, I guess they do have one for that. A big hammer will make it stop, that's for sure. Many times, it would be nice if there was something, some kind of anchor, some kind of true north to sort of orient us, to give us some direction when life seems out of balance, when life seems out of whack, like we feel like things are a bit off course. Well, today, I'm going to see if I can hook you up with something that might give us at least a little bit. Let's pray together. God, as we've said, we, and we say again, thank you for the gift of your word and for your Holy Spirit that will use that word to transform our lives. Amen. Well, let's orient ourselves a little bit using that, that idea. We're in a study here on hearing the voice of God and the di- different ways that God chooses to lead us. And last week, as we opened up the study, we're talking about how God doesn't always use God's outdoor voice But sometimes God speaks in a whisper, kind of why God would choose to do that. Today, we're going to unlock the key of keys, if you will. The voice we're going to look at today really is the baseline for every other way that God would lead us or would communicate with us. But before hearing from God through it, we've got to break down kind of a barrier. And I'm going to to save the passage that I'm going to use, my passage of choice, for a little bit later on in this message, because it's not going to be as useful until we start breaking down this wall that we're going to start looking at, in the fact that this key, this book, the Bible, can be a pretty imposing text. I mean, when you just look at it, I've been, you know, I went to graduate school to be able to study this thing, and sometimes I still look at it and go, wow. I mean, it's a text, your average Bible being twice as long as Moby Dick, about on par with with war and peace. And some people would say, just as confusing sometimes. Understandably so. There's a lot going on. I mean, you have 40 human authors that are contributing, written in three different languages, across three different continents, and 1,500 years of writing, all put together. There's a lot, too, to the sex. And it, it can feel a bit daunting. I mean, the, the idea of trying to, to read through the Bible in a year, some of those ideas that are reading plans that are out there, it's like I'd almost rather take on world hunger because that seems like it's so much easier. 
And it's kind of like wanting to hear somebody speak in regular human language. And so you walk in to listen to them while they're in a recording studio. And you're just trying to simply listen to a voice, and yet you have all these levers and switches and dials and plugs in front of you, and it's just like, all I want to do is hear a simple voice. I mean, stuff that makes Brian's rig up there look, look like child's play. Even if you go up there sometimes, you try and hear my voice, and if you had to hear it through all those plugs and sliders, it could be a bit daunting. So let's break it down a little bit. Break down that wall, because the point is not to just get through the Bible. Like, oh, I made it to the finish line, I, I, I survived. But for the Bible to get through us. So I'm going to try and give us some reminders about this text that, that will help, hopefully, make it a bit more manageable. And then again, in a little bit, we'll dive into the actual text that I'm going to use for today. Reminder number one, the Bible is the key of keys. There's a reason that I choose this as the title of this passage, because again, everything, every other way that God might lead us that we're going to study in the, over these next couple of weeks hinges on this idea and anchors in this idea that no other leading, prompting, whatever, will ever contradict what God says in here. This is as clear as God's words can get because on this side of heaven. And God gives us the gift of speaking in human language. As clear as it's going to get. And within that, we know that amongst all those credentials that I gave the Bible about how many human authors and how many years and all that sort of stuff, God will never contradict Scripture with another part of Scripture. That there is cohesion within this book. I could go on forever about it. It's one of those subjects I was really passionate about when I first became a Christian. But there are many people who will look at this book and claim, oh, there are so many contradictions in it, and that's the reason I can't believe in God, and all of that sort of stuff. But the truth is, in my experience, many of the things people will bring up, or questions we will have, have a reasonably easy explanation to them. I'll give you one example, Just and there are Many more I could give, but I'll just hit this with one. Adele and Phyllis, I never pick on you two, so I'm going to pick on you guys for, for this morning. Now, I'm going to cover the resurrection story for a second, because each gospel has its own rendition of it, and Matthew and John are often pitted against each other. Because as Mary Magdalene approaches the empty tomb, Matthew says that there's one angel that appears to him. John appears to her. John says that there are two angels that appear to Mary. Well, which is it? One angel or two angels? I'm going to play easy on you guys. Stand up, if you would. You don't even have to say anything. Now, is it true that there are two ladies standing right now? Is it also true that one lady is standing? You can pick whichever one you want. Thank you very much. You passed. Why God chose, or why Matthew or John chose to, to focus on one angel or two angels, we don't know. There's an easy explanation to the one angel, two angel part. Why? Well, we'll find out on the other side of heaven. But here is kind of a tip. And maybe this is an example that'll work for that. Maybe there are better examples. But given that we know that this is a cohesive book, and again, I could justify it in other ways offline if, if you needed. If we run into a passage that's a bit tricky, that's difficult to understand for whatever reason, we can use the Bible to interpret the Bible. 
It's one of the catchphrases, if you will, in Bible study. That we can probably find another passage that speaks to the same idea, the same theme, and use that, and it'll kind of help round out our understanding of what that tricky passage is talking about. Yeah, I'll cover some, a little bit of that more in a, in a second here with our next reminder that says that the Bible isn't the only tool that we have. And here's the good news. You do not need a library as big as mine to do Bible study. You probably don't even need a library as big as mine to do what I do. Here's another bit of the good news. You don't have to overwhelm yourselves with what I'm going to say in the next five minutes because I wrote this stuff down printed out my notes or a version of them, and put them at the Welcome Center. So if you end up wanting to know what I'm going to rattle off, because I'm going to kind of rattle things off a bit quick, stop at the Welcome Center on your way out, pick up one of the slips. It has all this sort of stuff. Of some of the other tools that we have at our disposal to help us hear from God through this word. And I'm going to give these in the priority order that I would use. If, you just, if all you had was a Bible, how would you gather some of these other tools? So, here we go. The first one I'd go for after a Bible, a Bible dictionary. Does exactly what you would think it does. No big secret here. Don't know how much 300 denarii is? That's what a Bible dictionary will tell you. Don't know why the idea of teraphim were important? Why somebody would risk their life to go get it? Bible dictionary will tell you that. Bible handbooks are similar. If I had a choice, though, Bible dictionary is the one I'd go with. So, helps flesh out some of those things that close that gap or that stand in the gap between us and a culture that we're reading about from 2,000 years ago. Some of the concepts, some of the words, some of the ideas just need some explanation to bring it into the 21st century or explain it to somebody in the 21st century. The next thing, an exhaustive concordance. And you can get concise. If you're going to get one, I just go straight for exhaustive. Here's the quirk about these. First off, they're based on a translation. You know, if you read the NIV Bible and you get a King James concordance, it's not quite going to match up as well. It's also based on English and the English translation. So it's not entirely foolproof, but if you got a good concordance, it'll go a long way in being able to say, all right, where is the word love mentioned? Well, it will tell you where all the English words love are put in within scripture, can kind of help you out. So just know that. It's still a great tool. Here's where I say being able to find some of those easier passages, a topical Bible is great. Because rather than looking for a word, maybe you're looking for the theme of prayer or the theme of love. And it will give you bigger passages, sections of scripture that talk about the, about these ideas. So, you know, you run into a passage on love, and it, it's kind of like, oh, I don't really understand this. I don't know what to make of it. Well, here's a place you can go to find some other passages. Like I said, use the Bible to interpret the Bible. That can kind of say, oh, well, okay, I understand what this passage was saying about love. That sort of helps me understand the tricky passage. This helps you find some of those other passages, rather than just individual verses. The next one, if you don't already have one within your first Bible, is a study Bible or a commentary. Now, this is where you can have as many commentaries as there are Bible students. And it can be kind of daunting to try and wade through them and all. Study Bible is a good place to start, though, to kind of help fill in a couple of gaps. But for a first one, here's what I'd recommend. There's a two-part series, um, a pair, called Expository Outlines of the New Testament and Expository Outlines of 
the Old Testament by Warren Wearsby. Great first starter. If I were to tell somebody what to get that doesn't require like 50 books. If you want more advanced or more in-depth ones, talk to me afterwards and I can give you examples of all that kind of stuff. But this sort of can help, help us understand how people understand passages and explain them rather than just, okay, here's the raw information, make what you will of it. Um, this is also because, like I said, there are so many, you will get bents. Somebody who comes from a Pentecostal background is going to have a certain way of interpreting a passage. Somebody who comes from a Baptist background, it's going to sound different. Some of the other stuff, concordances, dictionaries, they are just reference. So you don't have to really worry about, well, is this a Baptist dictionary or something like that? Good thing is you don't have to worry about that. But I got plenty of examples of that if you really want to see some of this stuff. The last one I'm going to give you, you might not even think of, is a second translation of the Bible. And there are, there are as many translations as there are physical Bibles out there, it seems like, sometimes. And you, if I were to run through just the, the acronyms, I mean, I could probably fill a library just of that text. But here's why I see this. Again, sometimes wording or a passage can be a bit tricky, and sometimes it's because of the wording. And if you look at it in another translation, sometimes they'll word or translate things a little bit differently, and it'll be like, oh, okay, I understand that idea. Um, it's really one of the only reasons I could ever understand the 23rd Psalm in, in King James is because I have read the 23rd Psalm in other translations. I'm like, okay, I can sort of feel my way through the King James because that's just not language that I'm used to. But also, here's another reason that it's good. So sometimes when we're reading something, we read, say we have a, a favorite book of the Bible and we're constantly reading over it, good thing, but we can get so used to the wording and so used to the phrase and we just sort of gloss over as we read. And if we li- read it in another translation, you know, things are put a little bit differently, phrased a little bit differently, it kind of makes us slow down a little bit and, and read it as though it were new again. Sometimes it just helps to have another translation around. Again, I've got some tips and, and stuff on All of this, especially that, over in the Welcome Center. So don't freak out trying to hold on to to all of it at once. Another reminder that can help break down this book just a little bit so it's easier for us to hear from God in it is this. Just the reminder that the Bible is written in a lot of different genres. We don't read poetry the same way we read a medical textbook. We don't read law the same way we read a David Cussler novel. Understanding this, understanding that some parts of the Bible are written as poetry, some are written as, you know, to be meant to be understood as history, chronology, some are meant to be, here's a letter that is speaking to a certain situation, can help us to understand it and help us, save us from drawing the wrong kind of things out. Like, you know, we wouldn't try and draw cold, hard facts out of poetry. If I were, back in the days when I would attempt to do this, to write a love poem to Rachel, would I say... I love how you were born on January 18th. So romantic. He speaks the truth. Your hex 776235 eyes are just gorgeous. Not romantic at all. They are, but we don't do that. Poetry has a language to it, a way to it, a form to it. Science has a way to it, a form to it. Law has a way to it, a form to it. That's one of the reasons that if I have somebody who is brand spanking new to the Bible, or skeptical or whatever, I'll often point them to the Gospels. And particularly, my favorite to point somebody to would be Luke, for reasons I won't get into, but the Gospels are a genre 
narrative, storytelling, chronology, that we're generally familiar with. And we're used to hearing things progress from, on this day this happened, on this day this happened. It's simpler to, to glean something out of it because we're familiar with it. And then from there we can go on to other different parts of Scripture. Another reminder. And this one may sound like it's going to come way out of left field, but I promise I'm going to nail it down a little. Remembering that the Israelites are God's people. Now, this is the, most, the, the keystone text. Get that. This is not the only tool. There's other tools that can help us out. Get that. The genres, get that. The Israelites, where am I going to go with this? Here's where I'm going to go with this. When we read the Old Testament, or more appropriately put, the Hebrew Scriptures, because I don't want to err that, because we have new Testament, that the Old Testament is somehow debunked or defunct or um, worthless. There is still value in, in the Hebrew Scriptures. But when we remember or are reminded of this one fact, that the Israelites are God's people, and we see all of how God is allowing these bad people to kind of run over this little group, it looks like the summation that so many people give to the Old Testament that say that is a God of wrath a God of anger. And people often say, that's what that God is like, and then the God of the New Testament is the God of love and grace and all that sort of stuff. I'm going to use an analogy here. I want to hang on to the idea, the Israelites are God's children. People, children. Children's going to work better for this analogy, so hang on to that. For those of you who are parents, is parenting always peaches and cream? Can I get an... Amen, no, for that. There are things kids will do that make us shake our heads. And to be totally fair, there are things that parents will do that will get children to roll their eyes at us, counting down the days till that starts happening. But even amongst that, even amongst all the difficulties and struggles that parenting can be, are our children still our children no matter what? Even if they sneak out at night, every night of the week, even if they were to finger paint the entire house, are they still our children? Would we still, as parents, as grandparents, give our life in a heartbeat if it meant saving theirs? The Israelites are God's children. And all those things that I just said about parents apply to God. And so when we think of all that is happening in the part previous to the Gospels, the Hebrew Scriptures, From that lens, it starts to help us rethink what is God doing that he allows bad people to overrun his children? Rather than just, oh, God is mad, God is evil, and writing it off as that, it starts to get us to ask that sort of question because we see God as a parent. Now, there are many other tips, ideas, suggestions that I could give you to help make Bible study more fruitful, easier, whatever. But, I don't want to fall into the error or fall into the trap of studying the Bible for the sake of studying the Bible. Because the point is for us to get into the Word so that the Word gets into us. And that's the way the Holy Spirit starts starts transforming lives. Starts changing us from the inside out. So let's get into the Word so that the Word can get into us. I'm going to go for, finally, our passage for this week. From Matthew 7. This is Jesus speaking at the tail end of his Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine 
and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them would be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. A number of years ago, Senate Chaplain Peter Marshall made an interesting statement. He said, what if, just what if, all of us read read a gospel until we got to a point where it said, do something. And then we went and did it. And only after we did it did we Continue reading again. What if? Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week in the Woodlane Worship Podcast.